one thing I noticed about you is how humble and grounded you seem to be. You're around the most famous people in the world, one of the most connected people in LA. I mean, that is the reputation of you. Did you kind of revisit, what is it I really care about? Like, what was that process? Because a lot of the things you're up to now are clearly highly aligned. From 17 to 27, I did one company and took it public. That was my life. 55,000 stories. So I built this whole business. I resigned to start the poker site. Started a poker site. And then two years later, the whole market shut down. I never wanted to be all in on any one thing ever again. We're really excited here, Man on Mission Day. We got someone that I really look up to early, early on when I was considering how to step into the light, build my personal brand. Um, really consider like all the things that were going to be necessary to pull this off. Dan was something that naturally I just studied. Uh, he kept coming up over and over and over again as I sort of was in the marketplace just watching and learning. And there's a few people that rose to the top in my mind that were people that I aspired to be like and that would re really like challenge me to think differently. One was Ed Milet. And again, I developed a, a personal relationship with him. And the other one was Dan Fleischman. I'm very, very lucky that I was able to develop an incredible relationship with such a special human on this planet. There's a few things about Dan that are undeniable. And we were just talking about this sort of in the pre-show banter that we were doing. Uh, but Dan is such an understated person. He is such a valuable like commodity in the marketplace. And the way he operates is such at a calm, cool, grounded level. He has, mm -hmm. he has so much just... It's like a serene vibe that circulates around Dan. If you've seen him like in action, it's just, it almost looks effortless how he slides in. He communicates to the world. He's so practical and he's so humble and grounded. But this is the most connected person in, in, in LA, maybe one of the most connected people in the world. I mean, this is a person that is so like capable of bringing big forces together and extracting gold, big forces together, extracting gold. Mm. Very rare in life. Will you ever, will you ever develop a relationship with someone like Dan? So I would really advise people are out there is to go search for Dan Fleischman's in the world and learn from them, study them because Dan, he just said it in the pre-show like banter around this topic of why are you so calm and, and cool? And like, why does this look effortless for you? It's like, this is all business. He's just trying to connect great people to create impact. This is, he's not, he's been doing it for 23 years. So I'll let him elaborate on that. But I really want to like just soften the tone of, of this podcast by letting you know there's someone so special right here. And he deserves like literally all the gifts in the world because all he does is provide value, value, value. And I feel like that is one of the key things that, that you will be able to pull out of this interview. So, Dan, welcome to the show, man. I love you, brother. Yeah, and welcome, um, Dan. We're happy to have you here, man. So, let's see. We, we got one hour. We could probably do 10 hours with, with Dan. There's so much he could teach you. Um, but I, I would like to probably start in a place with this show that it seems to be a common theme. We like to go right to the low, Dan, in your life. Everyone always sees the wins. It's so easy to project the wins, the lessons, all that. But we want to know, like, what is the worst time in your life? Take us right to the, to the Dan that nobody knows. I'd say the worst business time in my life was I had a company called Victory Poker. And it was so big, right? We were the top five poker site in the world. I had signed Dan Bilzerian, DJ Steve Aoki, Playboy Playmates, all the most famous poker pros. We're on TV shows all over the world. I'm on TV shows playing high stakes poker. Rosarian's doing this. And like, it's like we're making videos. We're getting millions of views back when social media was just getting started. We're making videos. We're getting tens of millions of views back then. And all of a sudden, April 15th, it was what's called Black Friday. And the online poker was world. The whole world was shut down in America. Where my three biggest competitors were all getting arrested. FBI sees their bank accounts. FBI sees their bank accounts in 16 countries that were non-extradition countries, like countries that you, we didn't have peace treaties with. They seized those bank accounts too somehow. And so if you went to like mm -hmm. Gold Seal Poker or Poker Stars, you went to their website, on the cover of the website says, seized by the FBI, property of the government. Wow. Luckily, my Victory Poker didn't say that because <laughs> I never got in trouble. I never got a knock on the door. I never got a letter. I didn't do what they were doing which was they were miscoding merchant transactions, meaning hmm. Matt was deposit 500 bucks on PokerStars. His credit card statement would say like flowers.biz. Eric would deposit 1,000 bucks on the same website and it would say like mattresses.edu. So they're wow. miscoding merchant hmm. transactions. 
Mine was Victory Poker at Wells Fargo, and I had KPMG accounting. I had one bank account, and that was it. So I never got in trouble. And I, mm-hmm. But by default, I've now become the number one poker site in the world. You don't want to win because your competitors are all dead or in jail. That's not how you want to win. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I manually, I, I closed down the poker site four days later, on April 19th, and I manually paid back 41,000 poker players. Again, think about 12 years ago, trying to manually pay people back for their credit cards or bank accounts. Hundreds of thousands of people were withdrawing wow. directly, but I had to manually pay back 41,000 people that didn't withdraw because social media wasn't that huge back then. It's hard to get a hold of everyone back then. Sure. So Damn. the same day, April 19th, I was supposed to get this large amount, large amount of funding from one of the top five sites in the world who was investing in our company. I had a whole photo shoot planned in Costa Rica. I had models and playmates flying from all over the world. From I had their flights booked from London and Paris. And anyways, they're all flying. All these girls are flying in. All the poker players are flying in. We rented out this whole resort in Costa Rica uh, called called Gaia. And it was like this amazing all like we had all planned out. Photographers, videographers. I'm about to do this huge campaign to announce this big investment, this big deal with one of the big competitors to make us that much bigger. Instead of April 19th, when we're also supposed to fly in and be doing photo shoots and announcements, I'm manually paying back 41,000 people. In that moment, I had a choice to make. I could sit on the floor and cry about it. I just lost a $65 million company overnight. I only had five employees. Wow. And that was it. That was my overhead. I had no office and five employees. And we're doing seven figures a month. So you can, you can do the math of what it was like to lose that company overnight. So... That same morning, what was really interesting was I was in Las Vegas, like I was living in a place called Malta for the last two years, building that site right underneath the, uh, the boot of Italy. That morning, I was supposed to, I flew in there to meet with this billionaire. He owned the slot machines, like the licenses for Wheel of Fortune and, uh, what's it called? The, the, the big slot machine, he owned the big licenses. He also owned a $440 million exit of a company that makes the loyalty cards for slot machines. You know, when you see senior citizens that have a little card, this was like the legend. Yeah. He owned three of the Riverboat casinos. Like he was just the legend in gaming because he owned these big licenses uh, for gambling. So 10, 10, 10 in the morning, Dan goes there and calls me and he's like, where are you? It's like, I'm at the Bellagio. I'm heading to the Hard Rock to meet that billionaire guy. Uh, his name is Edward Fishman. And uh, he's like, oh, it's over. Poker's over. Like he's just screaming at like poker's over. Like, you should go back to Malta. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> poker's over. He's like, turn on the news. And he hung up on me. So I turn on the news. Hmm. There it is on ESPN, CNN, every channel that poker has been seized by the government. Billions of dollars have been seized. So wow. 12 o'clock, I go over to the Hard Rock with this casino host named Steve Sear, introducing me to this big billionaire guy. I walk in the room and the billionaire says, wow, you look like somebody died. <laughs> he doesn't say hello that's what he says well i yeah. said well it was really bad uh turn on the news so he turns on the news puts on tv and immediately he puts steve win on speakerphone he just calls steve win no problem <laughs> call steve win steve's screaming about what just happened because 11 days prior the win announced their merger with one of these big poker sites and he was so mad. He's so yeah. mad at how, how come my lawyers not know this? How did this get by? Blah, 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 blah. So there's chaos. Wow. Mind you, the billionaire that I'm meeting, he thinks I'm coming there to actually do a favor for him. That's how the casino host got yeah. the meeting for me. You know what the favor was? Mm-hmm. Downstairs from 12 p.m. to 4 p.m., Dan is going to teach and train 11 sheriffs, like the police, how to play poker, how to yeah. play poker and blackjack. So I'm wow. there for him as a favor to like do this charity type thing or like fun thing for him to like train police officers how to play poker and blackjack. <laughs> Meanwhile, I, I feel like I'm public enemy number one, right? I'm in America. All my competitors are getting arrested. <laughs> so uh, I remember yeah. the last thing is I'm down there. I'm like teaching them how to play blackjack and poker. Text messaging doesn't really like an our big thing back then. Um, the messenger coming in. And one of the police, I told all the police officers right when I met them, like in the first minute, I'm like, hey, guys, just so you know, this just happened all over the world. I'm not in trouble, just to be clear. I didn't do it, you know. And uh, one of the cops kept messing with me. He kept, like, uh, hitting, like clanking together his handcuffs. 
And he kept saying, kept saying, <laughs> I got eyes on him. I got eyes on him. <laughs> anyway, so losing a company overnight, uh, $65 million company was a, my worst business moment. Yeah. But I will say the best thing that ever happened to me for my financial career and for millions of other people is that that happened. Why? Because right. I started my social media agency. I started my charity. I started my events company. I started my elevator nights for free. I started angel investing all in the same six right. months after losing everything. There wow. It is. Wow. So that, that brought renewed clarity for you. How did, that's a common thread. Like so yeah. many of these stories we hear from people that have like been game changers in the world. Like it's out of the ashes uh, in the hell that you extract the gold. And this is a, a rare thing. It's not common because if it was, everyone would be successful. Usually like the, the failure is what that once you touch that oven, you don't touch it again. There's mm -hmm. certain people that, that find the workaround. They keep going. They, they really turn that into like the silver lining that we all dream about, but it's mm -hmm. scary. I mean, so the pivot is really important, but this is really like undeniable that I don't think you can be successful if you haven't felt what it feels like to, to have that type of loss somehow. It's just, you can't ride the wave forever. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. Did, did it, did you arrive to that clarity in a unique way? For instance, like, were you, did you kind of revisit, what is it I really care about? Like, what was that process? Because a lot of the things you're up to now are clearly highly aligned. Like you seem to be having a great time doing it. It's like I mean, natural. I just realized I never what was that six months like? basket ever again. You know, from 17 to 27, I did one company. I took it public out of my life. 55,000 stories. So I built this whole business. I resigned to start the poker site. Started a poker site. And then two years later, company, the whole, the whole market shut down. And so done. I never wanted to be all in on any one thing ever again. Sure. That's why it's like angel investing, social media agency, speaking, free events, elevator nights, completely free. Like I just wanted to do like philanthropic, angel investing, like starting all these things based on like PTSD of like, I don't want to have one company ever again. I don't want to ever be all in on one thing ever again. Sure. Mm -hmm. And that was yeah, early when social media was, I'm assuming just getting going. So were you early to the game in social media? Yeah, so, you're, so you were early to the game. I mean, there's a lot of value just being somewhere first, but your instincts were right to really fully step in the light, make impact part of the game plan of how you're going to go like pursue the next version of Dan as you murdered the old you. Um, but then that's, so that's where you really leached onto social media. What were your instincts in the early days of social media? Did you know it was going to blow up the way it did? Did you, could you see what it was, the monster that, that it was going to become in 2011? Twitter was just getting, Twitter was just getting going. There was no Instagram, et cetera. And Facebook, right. there was no reach on Facebook. It was all for your personal, personal friends. Uh, but we were using YouTube and Twitter yeah. mostly back then. Like that's how we got so many millions of views was YouTube for those Aaron and Aoki. And those, those videos are still up. They're still fun to watch. I watched them three days ago. Like, they're still fun, you know. Uh, and so, yeah, when really? Instagram came out, I was, like, very adamant about it. And even with Twitter, like, I was manually installing it on a lot of people I mentioned. I'm just manually installing it on their phones. Like, you need Twitter. All right. Instagram's out. You got to put it on. Give me your phone. I'll put it in for you. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then when I, I started the social media agency and, like, Right. So I started spending money at the very beginning with influencers when the word influencer didn't exist. I would just paint. I was just paying for eyeballs. I'm like, I would drive to Kylie sure. Jenner's house and drop off fit tea. I would drive to Kim's house. I would drive to Tyga's house. I'm like, here's Fashion Nova. You know, like, I would just drive to people's houses and bring them <laughs> clothing and products and teas and energy drinks, Amazing. et cetera, back then because they just had eyeballs. That's what I cared about. I didn't know influencer was a thing. It wasn't a thing. Sure. Mm. Yeah. What, what insight you had to tap into these unique networks. I mean, one of the things that I think is crucial, like for, even for me, like I bring it down to my own experience, I've gotten more traction and momentum by finding a way to leverage other people's networks and just becoming a midget perched on the shoulder of a giant. It's been one of these like key metrics in my life that I felt like has allowed me to see so far and carry so much weight. But I, one thing I've noticed about you is you are so good about like, providing value and connecting into other people's networks. 
And then obviously you're maxing out the, the possibilities once you get there and fully leveraging that. I think that is a superpower and it is a gift that most people have no idea how to fully do. But I, I just know for me, like if Dan, if Dan Bilzerian sh- shares a, a story with you attached to it, like it's clear that the, the firepower that brings to your world. Um, but there's so much potential in, in other people's networks. So you were working with A-list celebrities, even in 2011, like, and Dan Bilzerian, yeah. I mean, what a, yeah, what a household name, probably more views than any person in the world, right? Now. Yeah. Wild. Oh, That's wow. amazing. So it, did you, I mean, did you have the wherewithal at that point to realize the value of just aligning your forces into other people's networks? Obviously you did, but I mean, can you explain, maybe give some tactical advice to why that yeah, is crucial in, in creating momentum? When, when, I, when, I, when, I had, when I had the energy drink, yeah, the, Simple. The eyeballs to me, it doesn't matter if it's a, See what I mean? a billboard, a NASCAR, a wrestler, a UFC fighter, Bilzerian, a playmate, a DJ. Yeah. It's just eyeballs, right? It's just... Dan, related to Eric's earlier remark about your temperament, your kind of way of being in nature, it's definitely something I just started following your contact more earnest, earnestly. And uh, there's something about you. It reminds me of something I once heard said about people who don't instill trust in others. And the little tell for the listeners out there, how do you distinguish a personality disordered person, like a narcissist, is they always have an ulterior motive behind every utterance. Like there's a little bit, whether they want your approval or they're saying something in order to get you to go a certain direction. And you do not knowing you personally, you come across as so uh, straightforward. I, you just don't detect that you're up to another game behind what you're talking about. And it, can you talk about that? Now, you're going to be tempted to say a one-word remark <laughs> and leave the topic. But really, unpack it. Like, Because you're running around with celebrities, influencers, people at high levels, and you can't pull off the events that you do without building real trust. What are your thoughts on that? There is a game to it. Like I want people to do things and I want people to replicate things that they like that I do or avoid things that I do that they don't think they can do themselves or do a pivot to what I'm doing. Or So there is some game to it. Subconsciously, I know what I want, right? Like, sorry, consciously I know what I want to happen. Subconsciously, I think I'm trying to make it happen with the way I'm interacting with celebrities, athletes, talent, influencers, friends, charities, followers, everybody in between. Everyone to me, again, is like the beautiful mind thing. I have a different version of who everyone is in my life and how I am to them, like how they perceive me or how I think that they perceive me. Hmm. And so the temperament comes from being numb to things. I'm numb to celebrities. I'm numb to people dying in my life. 35 people have passed away. I'm numb to a lot of, I'm numb to a lot of emotion of things. And so it's hard for me to have, if I lose $1.4 million in a poker hand, my heart rate doesn't change. If I throw the world's largest toy drive, I like it, right? Like mentally, I like it, but my heart rate doesn't change. I, I have a function of like, how do I make it bigger and better next year? And so I look at the things in my life, the good, the bad, people dying, losing money, doing something great, and my heart rate stays the same and my temperament stays the same because all of them are just a function of my life and the things that I want to do to check off the list before I die. Yeah. And not a fear of death, a fear of time, a fear of running out of time to do all the things that I want to do and do enough things that people yeah. can replicate. The reason I post so much about charity, I don't need people to donate to my charity. I want them to replicate me so it lives on beyond me. Exactly. And so I look exactly. at each aspect of my life of like, if I can make people better, right? If, if I introduce Eric to Billionaire X and Eric and Billionaire X go off to do something major, huge company, hire 300 employees, create a big charity, create a pocket, like the things, none of it stems back to me, right? <clears throat> but the butterfly effect of Eric becoming the billionaire and Eric doing more charity, and then sure. he hires hundreds of people, and those hundreds of people start to be able to buy exactly. a house yeah. and pay for their college for their kids. Like The butterfly effect of all those things is why I'm so proactively, like every day I'm introducing people, every day I'm trying to do deals, every day I'm trying to do meetings. It's why yeah. you couldn't pay me $2 billion to go sit on a beach with no phone. I want to do all yeah. these things. I don't, yeah. I don't. What's up? 
That's and you're very lie. you're very non-attached. It's like a zen. Uh, you're committed to the game and just without attachment. Well, I know that things, some things are going to fail. Or I know some people are going to screw me over. I know some people aren't going to show up. Like when you think about the poker site, technically Dan Victory Poker didn't lose the game, right? My three competitors got seized by the government. They lost the game. That doesn't matter. The scoreboard's a scoreboard. I lost. Doesn't matter how it happened. I I could sit and cry and blame the competitors and be like, oh yeah, if it wasn't for them, no, the game is the game. I lost. Yeah. And so I could sit on the floor and cry about it, like, and have people feel sorry for me that my competitors screwed up. It doesn't matter. I'm in an industry that was high risk. They screwed up. I still lost. It's still my decision. However it happened, however that game happened, yeah. it happened. And so yeah. that, the reason I try to stay non-emotional to those things is I know going in, some things going to suck. Some things are going to fail. Some people are going to be bad. Some people are going to screw me. Some people are going to do lawsuits. Some people are going to go make competing versions of exactly what I'm doing. I know that going in. So why would I get emotional about the things that I can expect are going to happen? I know sometimes people will be late. If I get mad at them every time they're late, when I know that they're late over and over and over, that's on me. They're not controlling my emotion. When I already know they're going to be late because they're late all the yeah. time. And so I, I try to stay very calm and focused on the things that I can control. And like I said in the poker thing, like if I had pocket aces and Matt has pocket kings and we play a $1.4 million hand and then you hit a king, what am I supposed to do? Not play aces? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah right there's yeah. there's something really power there's something really <laughs> powerful about uh scar tissue and that kind of that been there done that mentality and yeah i think the best in class you know they hit three pointers all day and and again like they've been there done that like I, I love being around that type of energy but you tapped into a why that i think is unique to expand upon because it's really kind of built into a part of my why and a lot of the people's whys around america that i look up to was this whole idea that you can inspire and impact people in a way that gets them chasing their dreams, that gets them really focused. Like if you wanna solve crime, you're gonna be mad at the TV all day or you're gonna go out in the marketplace and do something and help people win. Like all the things we hate in society, all the things we fear, all the things that, that are create hell for people, it, once people start latching onto their dreams and, and having self-belief and sort of the bandwidth to be able to perform in the marketplace and do it, this is the best way to solve this. And you are a perfect example of someone that is out living in their highest and best use. And by inspiring other people to do that, like this is literally how you save the world. That's how you save this country is by getting people to believe that they can do anything. So there's a really powerful why beneath your message. But it brings me to the next question. There's a lot of divide in this country. There's a huge red line right in the sand that's cutting this country in half right now. And I do believe that it's influencers like you that are actually doing the repair work as much as you can, but it almost seems like a game that can't be won. What's wrong with America, man? <laughs> Straight up. Like, why are people failing? Why is there so much, so much pain in the marketplace? I seem detached from it because I'm always in the right room around people that are bigger than me and more inspired than me. But it's undeniable when you look around, like, what kind of pain exists out in the marketplace. So, I mean, what does is, what is Dan say? What's the problem? It's okay to be a loser. We made it okay to be <laughs> mediocre. We made it okay to come in ninth place and still get a medal. We made it okay to do these things about things that are so A and B, right? Or right and wrong. There are things that are fundamentally right and wrong. There are things that are science-based or biology-based that are right and wrong. There are things that we've allowed for some small amount of people to say, and if there's any pushback, we, we allow it or we have to change or people can get canceled. Yeah. Truth and reality don't change just because someone that's confused mm -hmm. or someone that's emotional or someone that's scared or someone that has no clue says something or questions something. They're, and so, so true. as you know, I really, and I've told you this, I don't talk about politics. I don't talk about those things because to me, those are not A and B. Those are things that are up to opinion. When people talk about, are there anything more than two genders? There's just male and female. It's not a emotional thing or a question thing. It's just science and biology. That's it. There's nothing else to it. And yeah, we've sure. allowed we've allowed Very people easy. to make it seem like there's other options. There are no other options. One gender can have babies. One gender cannot. There's no other option to it. And yeah. there's no emotion to me when I say that, and can't cancel me for saying it because it's just biology. And everybody that says anything different is wrong. And I can say with 100% fact, it's just wrong. There's no religion to it. It's just science and biology. When someone comes in ninth place and they give their child an award, 
That is wrong. And a child does not deserve an award because now they're not going to practice hard for next season to go out and play because why would they? They got an award for coming in ninth place. There is no emotion or struggle or pain that needs to happen for them to go win and practice next year. You think if Kobe, if Kobe Bryant yes. got ninth place awards, you think he would have been living in the gym every single day? He would have been a different person. No. You have to go through the function. 100%. You have to go through the losses like Michael Jordan not getting on the basketball team in high school. Like You have to have the hard parts to make you want to be in the gym every single day. And so when a kid gets ninth place exactly. in a soccer game, and they're like, oh, yeah, it's okay, honey. It's not okay. It's just not okay. You need them to go out and practice and strive hard and work hard to go get better. Otherwise, there's no – and so we've allowed that to happen uh, over these last couple of years in particular because people have made it seem like it's okay to suck or it's okay to fail or it's okay to do these things, and it's not okay. Right? You need people to work hard. I have, I have a question on that. Dan, you're uh... – Another aspect of your temperament, you seem understated and uh, you have good discretion and you seem private as social as you are. You seem and that I respect that when I see that in people. But when you evoked Michael Jordan and anybody who's had the level of success that you have, I can't help but be interested in the background, not only where you're going tomorrow, but like, man, this young like you broke the record as the youngest publicly uh what was it funded publicly traded company that you founded as a young man um tell us a bit about your own background did you have some of those painful michael jordan moments as a youth like what shaped you yeah if i if you, if you throw someone in the pool you have to swim or die we just didn't have any money so like when my parents got divorced my mom my mom was just keeping us alive working for you know, making a couple grand a month in Los Angeles is not going to cover a lot of things for a family of four. My dad was a taxi cab driver. We just didn't have any money. And so, like, the second I was allowed to work, I was selling candy at school. I was taking, like, football bets every, for five bucks each. I was selling cereal boxes <laughs> out of my backpack. Like, I was awesome. hustling. Since I was 15, I got three jobs. I was working for Ruby's Diner with Sailor's Cap on. I was working at Qualcomm Stadium. He now it's a coffee box here. And then I worked for oldie discount wow. stockbrokers, and he was paying me 10 bucks an hour cash under the table. Love it. And I worked those three jobs every single day, as much as I could, to save up money because we just didn't have money. 15. And so, to me, yeah. I will always have that subconscious fear. I'm sure you could break it down better than I can from a psychology perspective, but I have a subconscious fear. I don't ever want to be broke again. And it's not, not that I want to yeah. buy stuff. I want to buy food. I want to be able to move around. I want the freedom part of money. I don't buy Security. stuff. I'm not wearing anything. Yeah, yeah. Right? I don't have a fancy car. I don't have fancy stuff. You don't see me posting the thing. I want to work as much as I can because I have a subconscious fear of being broke. Mm. That's amazing. I know your grandfather is important to you. I, I, can you? What? It's amazing the people when you close your eyes and you look back. Like I can go right to moments and right to people and right to a, like feelings, emotions that are so powerful. And, and I really like give so much credit to the people that sort of shaped me. And for me personally, a lot of it was the adversity that I had of not having a biological father ever in my life, being born to a single mother at 19. Like, I think there's a lot that I can trace to my childhood and a lot of chips on my shoulder that I fully leveraged, you know, like really wanting to be someone and prove myself to the world came from that unseen child that was just trying to be seen. And, and, um, and, and again, I, I credit a lot of people and my grandparents were dear to me the same, but I know your grandpa was important to you. Um, can you talk about that? Just watching someone like him, a man of honor, uh, you know, he's surviving yeah. the Holocaust, one of the last Holocaust survivors, spending it, dedicating his whole uh, life to keeping a language going. Uh, Yiddish was like a, an offshoot of Hebrew. Him teaching Yiddish at the Beverly Hills yeah. High School for about three or four decades, and then teaching teaching wow. other senior citizens and other adults the language out of his house and out of the local Jewish community centers, et cetera. Just watching a man of honor be with the same woman his entire, they were together for like 63 years yeah. or something. Um, it's just that, you know, like just watching him, every every single holiday he ran the household. We all came to him. No matter where I was in the world, I'd fly in to be there for the major holidays, the major Jewish holidays. I would fly in if I had to from Europe for the day and fly back. Just to be out of my respect for him, wow. just to be, to be clear. Yeah. And so like, He's just the That's one amazing. person, wow. the one thing that I always like 
was my North Star of like a human, as a man, um, of how he led all of us. And we only exist because of his perseverance. My entire bloodline literally only exists because on his 11th birthday, all of his family members died. And so he never celebrated his birthday because on his 11th birthday, they all passed away. And the fact that he survived is why me, my mom, my brother, my aunt, my, like our entire bloodlines, their kids only exist because this one wow. guy didn't die that day and persevered and survived through wow. the Holocaust. And so I just, I just look at him and how he's been picked up and moved to America, built a life, etc. Uh, he's, he's always been my North Star. Mm. That's, that's amazing, Dan. I'm really glad you shared that story with us because that's the shit that makes Dan Fleischman yeah. Dan Fleischman. You know what yeah. I mean? That's the stuff that beneath the surface of it all, there's a powerful why and there's a gratefulness and a, and a real sense of um, a connection to the things that really matter most in life. And I love that you tapped into it. Like it's not the stuff. The stuff all tastes the same. It all feels the same. All the leathers smell the same at some point. I love that sentiment. It, all the clocks tick the same, all of it. But the thing that, f that I think is most fulfilling is like impact and really leaving a legacy, a, tra a trail of creation that when you meet your maker one day, you can look back and really be proud of. And I guarantee that 98% of people are going to die and they are going to have so much untapped potential that they never went near and you are like, feel like living out your greatest potential, your highest and best use. And it's because of shit like that, like right there, that's the Dan. It's those seeds that, that were planted a long time ago that are creating what we see in front of us today. And I want to thank your grandpa uh, for you, brother. You are a gift to the world. And like, you know, we owe him a lot of credit as well. Um, so thank you, Dan, for that. Um, there's so many places you could pivot here. We could even we could stay in this, but we got one hard hour. I'm, I think I want to spread hard here. But one thing that I love about you is your relationship with Casey. You guys are doing life in a big way on a big stage in front of lots of eyeballs. And I loved going, maybe taking this conversation somewhere. When you met Casey, I, I don't know, did she have a major following? Because she blew up too. You guys really both pursued like high standards and excellence in the lens of the world to see. And like, was that a, was that a conscious decision to really like use social media as a weapon and a tool to attack your dreams? And somehow Casey like blew, she's huge. I don't know if you guys know Casey. Uh, I was seeing, she's a I was champion. admiring yeah, she's amazing. Your, your wedding, Dan, like the photography and how beautifully you uh, yeah. shared that publicly. I think that strikes your question. Like there was obviously a choice Dan in that, gets it. Yeah. that you're going to bring in the world to something so intimate. Yeah. And it was beautiful. I checked out online anyway. His wife's one of the biggest influencers in the world, but she's, yeah. she's a special human too, just like Dan is that, you know, they, they do life in a really unique way. It's just rare. Like we were, we were talking to a very rare breed here, but the instincts sort of behind that and how you built that up. I think everyone deep down wants to build a, 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 a brand like that, like you and Casey have. There's a lot of things that hold people back. I think fear is probably the number one thing, but you guys both broke through, not just one of you. You both just barreled through all the, the things that are not normal, not average, not mediocre. You excelled right to the top. So can you sit in that sentiment for a minute and like un, un, unpack that? Yeah, so Casey, her Instagram is Casey Loves Fitness. She, when I met her, she had mm -hmm. 3,100 followers. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. eight, eight, eight years <laughs> Crazy. ago. And, uh, she was wow. presenting to me, basically pitching to me about her bikini line, but she kept talking about fitness. And I said, take a week and just decide which, so take a week and just decide which one is your passion, which one is your career? Like, which one do you enjoy? Mm -hmm. It sounds like the bikini stuff you enjoy, but the fitness is that what your actual career is. And that's when she changed her Instagram to Casey Lowe's Fitness and started building what's called Omnipresence. Her Facebook page has over a million followers. Her Instagram, 700,000. She has Twitter and threads and YouTube. Like she's on every platform. And not necessarily because of me. It's not like I'm posting all the time. I'm definitely not posting on other platforms. She built all of those on her own through her content mm. and her consistency. She posts social media every single day. And just math and time that adds up over time. And she's been working with First Form, the supplement company, since 2016, working with Andy. 
and a bunch of influencers. And she'll actually like manage campaigns for the influencers and like go through and make sure they're posting on time and make sure they got all their products. And she'd been doing that for seven years. And so if you just think about the math right. time and consistency that if you post every day, you do collaborations, you post with other people, you make good video photo content, you, you actually sh make real captions and showcase your life and story, showcase your travel, you're gonna gain a following. It did not happen overnight. She went from 3,100 followers to 5,000, to 10,000, to 20,000. It's been eight years of growing that for, for these millions of followers. Yeah. There is no skipping to the front when it comes to that. And anytime someone goes viral for something, those followers are not sticky. You go viral on one video, those are not sticky followers. She has sticky followers because mm -hmm. she's been doing it every single day for the last eight years and she's not going to stop. Every, you'll see it to this morning, you'll see it tomorrow, you'll see it the next day, you'll see it when she's tired, you'll see it when she's sick, you'll see it when she's traveling. She's going to post every single day and you're going to see content. And that just adds up. Math, time, and energy just keeps adding up. And so her mm -hmm. being so integrated into the charity work with me has been fantastic. You know, she's at every charity event. She's posting about the charity stuff and she cares about it. Whether I'm there or not, she's going to do the charity work. Uh, the, the toy drives, the backpacks for the homeless and everything in between. And so we live in parallel, but she's doing her own thing. Does that make sense? Like we, we intertwine whenever we can, but on her own two feet, she does so many of these things. She wrote her book by herself called The Glute Bible. She wrote the whole book by herself. I didn't do anything for the book. The Glute Bible. Yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah. So, that's, that's a good, good topic. From a relationship perspective, it's important for boyfriends and girlfriends, husbands, wives, any combination of relationship to make sure that the other person is not living just vicariously through you. It'd be easy for her to just like, it'd be I easy totally for her to just latch on and run around with me and travel. She's got her own stuff to do. She's not gonna be at every event with me. She's not gonna be able to travel all the time. She has her own things to do. She's on, she's on speaking on stages. She's on other people's podcasts. She might be doing a podcast right now for all I know. Like she's out there building her own career. I think it's important for people that are in relationships, especially when you have like, and Eric Roth is your boyfriend or husband. Like, if you just live vicariously through him, you're gonna not be able to build your own career in life. And the times that that person is busy, you will feel a bit of resentment. And so it's important in a relationship to make sure that the significant other has things for themselves to do for their life, for their career, for their for their ego, for their psyche, etc. Hmm. Now, everyone should pursue their passions. Like, everyone has a thing that is deep inside their soul that they're capable of doing. And so many people, they die without ever going near it. I think regret's gotta be the number one, like worst feeling that I'm scared of. But so many people I think get to the end and they didn't come near what they could have done. And I think really fear is probably one of the most dominating reasons why. We love to ask sort of these questions to our guests, like what's holding people back? What's the number one thing, Dan, that you think's holding people back from pursuing their highest and best use? Yeah. They think that embarrassment of not succeeding or failing or going slow, they actually care what people think. Yeah. And that's it. it's the reason that seminar speaking or you know, public speaking is the number one fear in the world. And you know, snakes yeah. is number two. You think that snakes should be number one, right? <laughs> like, hey, a 14 foot yeah. python should be scarier than standing in front of 30 people. But it is the subconscious. Yeah. People are nervous about other people judging them and watching them and think of their making a mistake or failing. And why I'm so passionate about getting people, here's the thing, in my books, I've only signed three words my entire life. I've never signed anything else. All I ever say is just get started. That's it. Because of this exact question. I love that. Everyone has this fear of like, I want to start my company, I'll do it next year. Oh, I'm going to start my diet on Monday. Why do you have to wait till Monday to get, start your diet? Why do you have to wait till next year to start your company? Just get started. Hmm. And so I've said, do it now. Really, do it now. I come up with these crazy, crazy ideas and I just start them. And yeah, I could go on for that for hours. Like, yeah, if there's <laughs> one thing you pull, if there's one thing you pull out of this podcast, everyone listen, one thing you guys pull out of it right here is the moment. Do it fucking now. Just silence the procrastinating voice that's spinning everything into a negative light. That's the imposter that's destroying all your potential and listen to Dan Fleischman and do it fucking now. I love it. It's a what? hit because that's such a, a beautiful like phrase. It, it should be like it, it haunting every person's negative thoughts that do it now, do it now, do it now, do it now. Like you want to think 
like the 1%, like you need to start flooding your mindset with all these things that push you out of the vagueness. They've pushed you into clarity and it's by doing scary shit because everything you want in life, everything, it, it, you have to walk through the fear to get there because that's where, that's like the stuff that you want is the stuff that's out of reach. And for you to get there means you have to go through the challenges to get there. Because if not, everyone would have it. Like there's a reason rare is rare. You have to be doing the, willing to do the things that no one else does. And most people aren't willing to walk through the fear. But if you do it, like I always said, the barbarians are not going to stone you to death. This is something I learned when I started doing public speaking is I would connect the audience to like in the caveman days, like all the barbarians that were, might stone me to death if I say something they don't like. But the truth is no one's going to stone you to death. Like it's not a big deal. And once you sort of feel what that feels like, you can sit in the fear. I remember literally shaking when I'm on stage and my heart feeling so heavy and beating almost like blood pressure was like coming out of my fucking throat. And I'm sitting there and like that fear like was shutting my mind down where I couldn't even pull words out. But the truth is, is like, I'm afraid of nothing, but I sat in it anyway. I took a deep breath and I told the audience how scared I was. And there was something about that earnest and honest sincerity. The energy came right back. The point really is, is like when you sit inside your fears, once you get through it, the feeling on the other end is better than winning the fucking lottery. There is a sense of fulfillment and, and, and pride that comes from just owning the feeling, sitting in it and accepting it. And the rewards are great. Like you can get addicted to walking through fear. And I think that's what people that are hungry, you wonder why like successful people, like I've heard this so many times from like the masses you know, sort of the mediocre crowd that's always say, oh, don't you have enough? Like why you have so much money? Like why, you know, they're billionaires of the world, the high achievers of the world. They're not pursuing money. Money's just a tool. It keeps score. That's not the thing though. They are in love with the process. They love the game. They love the chess match. It's the battle. They, what, what are you going to sit on a beach all day? What a boring fucking life. Who's going to just sit on a beach with an umbrella and their drink all fucking day? No, it's the game. We want to play the game. I want to play it till death. I don't know about you, Dan. You strike me as a person that is going to be giving back and living with impact is the number one priority in your life for the rest of your life. Uh, this is something, though, that if you can sink your teeth into, listen to Dan, this whole con concept of consistency and walking through fear, you can literally start changing your life tomorrow. Like everything that's wrong in your life, all the chaos, all the noise, all the bullshit that you tell yourself, every lie, the entire racket that you're running. Once you shed that shit and you step in the fear and you stay consistent with it, your life will change over fucking night. And so many people say, oh, like, you know, that he must have fucking just blew up overnight, like an overnight success. It often appears that way, but you didn't see the decade of work they were doing. Like with Jessie, it was interesting. She came onto the scene really hot. And I'm good friends with her. She was telling a story when I was speaking at her mastermind where she literally did went live on Instagram every fucking day for eight years before anybody knew her. Like it wasn't over. There's no such thing as overnight success. And if there was, you wouldn't want it anyway. Like it wouldn't mean as much like, but this is something that will change the world. Like that singular thought right there will cause so much less pain. It'll make you so much healthier. It'll cause so much less friction in society. And it will really, this is the uniting thoughts. You want to bring the left and the right together, get people fucking hooked on these simple messages and you could literally change society. This is what presidents should be fucking saying. Sorry. There's a no. I, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I love the uh, human nature aspect of this because another misconception out there is that once people arrive at a certain level, now the fires of necessity stop burning at their feet. And what did Brandon Turner say? Will you, will you tell Dan what Brandon? Yeah, Turner I want to. I want to cool. set this question up. We uh, interviewed Brandon Turner, and I want to ask you the same kind of question, Dan. One thing about Brandon Turner, he had the number one podcast in real estate in the world at one time, and he's got, I don't know, just under a billion in assets under his management. And what I was just like, though? what drives you today? Like when at this level, and my impression is when you reach a certain level of success, now you're restless about different things. Now you're, what you're aiming at shifts, but there's still... I'd love to hear you speak to how you relate to your future, Dan, and what you feel you ought to accomplish and the why behind it. So my ultimate goal is to cure homelessness and cure hunger because they're both solvable problems. And I don't need anybody to know that I did it. I need to do the function of curing those two things because both are very fixable. Hmm. And for the most part, the government holds back both. 
if you think about restaurants and grocery stores, they were not allowed to give extra food to the homeless up until like a year and a half ago in almost every state in America. Wow. And even then, most states, you still can't give away food from a restaurant. I can promise you, beat them myself. I will tell them this. I don't care if the food is two days, three days, or four days old. I, I want it, right? And they were yeah. not allowed to. They weren't allowed to give like two-day-old vegetables out or two-day-old anything out. So luckily, that's step-by-step -step getting resolved. It's still not fully resolved. Homelessness. There are countless amount of buildings and a lot more buildings coming up that are vacant. There are ways to solve homelessness with massive warehouses that are vacant. Uh, massive 1,800 college campuses closed down. Those would be great homeless encampments. There's a lot of schools that have closed down, high schools that have closed down. There's a lot of major corporations that are closing down and moving out. No, no new tenant is coming. And so there is very simple ways to cure homelessness in America. And then obviously overseas, very affordable ways to do housing overseas. And I created like this, a big vision of what I need to become a billionaire for is to create basically small cities that look like a prison effectively, but a prison that's not a prison, if you will. Um, Interesting. But there are small cities that are right, out of, right, right outside of LA, right outside of Dallas, right outside of the major cities that are these 50 acre, 100 acre type properties that have homeless can work there, go to school there, grocery stores, obviously living, and then separate out single males, single females, uh, dangerous and drug induced people here, and then uh, families on the other side. So there's four separate sides and they cannot interact uh, for safety reasons. Hmm. And I have it all mapped out and designed the entire plan. I do not want a dollar from the government for it, and I can't need I can't need anything from the government for permits or approvals either. I need to be able to build a city yeah. without the function of the government. And again, I'm not, I'm not like anti-government. Sure. I'm just anti-slow. <laughs> I don't want to wait I five years for approval yeah. of building yeah. the door. Right? Like I, I can't. Well, you're, you're thinking yeah. like an entrepreneur. If, if if we ran our businesses the way the government ran theirs, we would have been bankrupt a long time ago. These guys write checks that they can't cash, and they're the most inefficient systems in the world. So I love your sentiment. I love that you mapped out. You want to look what a big visionary like looks and thinks like? There it is. And I love that not only is he addressing sort of the, the issues, but you can see how he started tapping into the root cause because it's one thing to solve the problem on the surface, but if you can't get to the identifying root cause of the of why this is happening in the first place, first place, and I think a lot of this is actually caused by government. So you have a really good instinct to keep government out of this because I think government is one of the most influential like negative forces on planet Earth. Uh, undeniable, and the, and the bigger they get, time just makes government bigger. You notice they never get smaller? There's no government that gets smaller until there's a revolution. They only get bigger, they only get more powerful, they only seize more control, and they only strip more freedom. So Dan's instincts are dead on, undeniable. What a cool business model. How, okay, so again, it's one thing to have the vision, and then you take it back to tomorrow. Like, I think everything Dan's doing is building momentum. Like, this is a reason to get rich, by the way. Like, you know what I mean? If you're going to give, you get rich so you could give it all back. You can't take yeah. it with you. Like, people don't get this, this, this whole concept of wealth building. The whole concept is to, is to really leave so many valuable marks in society. That's what it should be, at least. This would be cool to see play out somehow, Dan. Mm -hmm. Like, what can we do tomorrow? Like, how can we help? What do you, what, I mean, what, what is the game plan? I mean, I know you're doing all kinds of stuff with backpacks, and, and it's all building towards this bigger dream, but, like, what's tomorrow look like? I'm just practicing and preparing for 11, 11 years, I've done the Model Citizen Fund. For 11 years, I've given out tens of billions yeah. of items to the homeless. I'm practicing. Model Citizen Fund, real quick. Mo it's called Model yeah. Citizen Fund. Uh, and then for nine years, I've had Trina's Kids Foundation. And so we have a back-to-school drive, which is this Saturday, actually. We have Report Card Day. Awesome. Uh, we have the Thanksgiving Food Drive. And we have the Toy Drive. Last year, we broke the Guinness Book mm -hmm. World Records for the largest toy drive in history. This year is the 10th anniversary. I'm going to do it in 10 cities in a two-week period. And so I am wow. practicing awesome, charity efforts. And I'm practicing and I'm collecting people. And I'm trying to make as many people rich so that later, when it's the right time, I am rich enough and I made enough people rich enough, I will then build a prison, if you will. Instead of homeless, they'll become home full. Right. Right? I will make something that mm. the homeless can live in. When I'm wealthy enough and have enough execution power, I can then start to cure hunger because it's very solvable to ship out nuts and raisins and cranberries and things, rice, et cetera. These are things that are pennies. We can ship out large amounts of quantity, whether it's in America and the third world countries, uh, large amounts of food that people can at least survive. They're not gonna like thrive off of eating, you know, peanuts, raspberries and cranberries, et cetera. 
almonds and walnuts and nutrition bars, etc. But they're at least not going to die. Because most of them die from diarrhea. And so just solving the one main thing of like, if you fix their food and water situation, they will live longer. Yeah. And then you can start to do the more fun things of charity, like what would happen if we got them laptops? Very cheap laptops that are 20 to $100 yeah. to have laptops. Think about how many entrepreneurs are out there that live in Africa and all these third world countries that could do something if they just had a laptop. Wi-Fi is already getting fixed mm. because you have Zuckerberg and Starlink with Elon Musk that are placing satellites over the world. Third world countries are going to have really fast internet in the next few years. So that part's amazing. So I look at the hard That's products. Amazing. How do I get them food? How do I get them shelter? And if Elon's going to help get them Wi-Fi, you now start to it become real interesting what happens to our society when millions and millions and tens of millions and hundreds of millions more people are not dying due to diarrhea, are not dying due to like basic needs. And then yeah. again, there are powers at B that don't like that because we'll go from 8 billion they people to 10 billion people like that, right? Exactly uh, right. So I think there's a there's pros and cons of everything that I'm talking about from a, the government's perspective. If you have billions more people, that's billions more taxpayers and billions more consumers. Uh, hopefully that they don't try to stop the efforts. Your vision is a great example of this idea about getting really clear about the consequences of not fulfilling your potential because you're stacking on, if I can get this much more wealthy, execute this much better. Um, there's real consequences if you just put your, took your foot off the gas. You do some of the coolest events out there. You think so big and it almost seems like like attached to all the profit, you're, you're attaching purpose is just as, as powerful of a, of a force, which is just, I think all businesses should be run that way. And I think honestly, that's the future of business really. But you do throw some amazing events. You're, you guys are throwing, um, what is it? The, the biggest single largest one day yeah, business okay. mastermind oh, yeah. conference in Utah. Yeah. September 23rd. Yeah, I'll be with you, man. I'm excited to go go check all that out. You're going to give me a window into the world of Dan, and uh, and we want to try to replicate like something like that in Coeur d'Alene, maybe, but maybe add a two or three more elements on top of that, stack it into two two or three days. But um, what does it take to to put this stuff together? I mean, you you have a powerful phone call. You may you make a, Dan Fleischer makes a phone call. People pick up and they commit to you. I mean, it's not easy to put this shit together. Yeah. So limitless arena. <laughs> It was September 23rd, and what happened was the muscle guy in Salt Lake City, he'd already been throwing events, and he was like, I want to throw the biggest event in Salt Lake City history. Okay. Will, you will you finance it? Will you do it with me financially? Mm -hmm. I was like, well, if I'm going to finance it, I want to help do the whole thing because sure. I would like to protect the money part, and also, like, I live in three throwing events. And since he already had good events, I throw events for years. Let's do it together. And yeah. so... We started thinking about who are the who are the people that we think of when it comes to like, oh my God, this would be the biggest event ever. Gary right. Vee, David Goggins, Andy Persona, Ed Milet, Tim Grover, like there's just like so many Eric Thomas, like you just think about yep. Russell Brunson, boom, 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 boom. And then try to pack it all in one day. And That's so cool. I wanted to do this also to me, like I said earlier, this practice. If I get this right, my plan is to do them quarterly throughout the country next year. We're already planning the Limitless Arena in April um, and hope, hopefully get Tony Robbins to speak there. Awesome. So the, the way it works is when you build up and prove to people that you can throw events, speakers will want to come to your event. Sure. When you build up rapport with celebrities, athletes, big name speakers and get some of them attached to your event, other big names will want to get attached to your event also. Mm. And so the first thing I always tell people, if you're throwing an event, get that first medium to big name person attached to your event, and other people will follow. You want to throw an event in Coeur d'Alene? Great. If Eric's speaking there, it's more likely that you'll be able to get other business people to speak there, and then when you have two or three, and then you can get anybody who wants to speak there. Sure. Right. right. So that's what I did. I went after the biggest, go get Andy and Gary Vee, et cetera, and then it's easy to call Dan, David Goggins and Tim Grover and everybody else, because they're like, oh yeah, Andy and Gary, let's go. Right. So awesome. to make this pencil with, with that kind of lineup, that's a lot of star power that you bring it in. I don't know if there's like 20 different speakers. You guys are packing a lot into one day. There's a, yeah. there's an amazing VIP experience the night before. I mean, you guys are selling tickets at 10 K. I mean, you guys, there's a lot of demand for this. The markets, you know, really gushes over these people. So 
obviously you're tapping into it. How many people do you need to show up to get this to pencil? Curious yeah. what that actually looks like for you. Yeah. So we're going to spend almost $3 million in production and there you go. Uh, to put the See? whole thing together. So 7,000 people can, I can technically sit 9,056 with my technical seating. I'll walk you through exactly. Okay. <laughs> 9,056 yeah. cool. is te technically my exact, how many can seat. 7,000 to me is the comfortable number. So my goal number is 7,000. Not because mm -hmm. I could, not because my goal number should be 9,000 for setup. 7,000 right. is just like the comfortable number the way the arena sits. So you're, you're in the green at 7,000. Like you're, no, you're, no. you're way, way earlier than that. So we have tickets at $300. $500, $1,000. So $300 is your nosebleed seats and your, and your main seats all throughout the arena. $500 is kind of like your better seats, like your lounge floor, not floor seats, but lounge club seats. Sure, yeah, sure. $1,000 is for floor tickets. Each section of the arena is supposed to be able to generate me $500K to $9. That's the way I look at it, right? So if I look at it from a map perspective and I have this, okay, this section has 1,100 seats. Times five hundred dollars. There's five hundred fifty thousand dollars. So I look at it that way from a math perspective of like sure. what I can sell. There's a three thousand dollars speaker lunch. I cap out at a hundred there, so that's three hundred thousand dollars. The night before is ten thousand dollars per person. We've already sold forty three of those that have been paid for. Ninety have been committed to, but I only count once it's paid. Forty three people have already paid for the ten k. So there's four hundred thirty thousand. I can get a hundred people there at the Muscles House. That's a million dollars. So if I look at it like okay, hmm. I got. A huge quarter million dollar sponsor through what's called the grit that's a big sponsor that helps a quarter million bucks there i have other 25k 100k sponsors i have booths that are three thousand dollars each season levels i have 300 bucks 500 bucks thousand bucks 3k sponsors 3k speaker lunches 10k parties 10k backstage tickets i have to have all these different elements because i got to get to three million bucks as my break even mm. then there's going to be an offer during the event that's an affordable price point at the 2k range from a household name legend, so I know it'll get fulfilled, and it won't. You feel split like the case. profit on that. Yes. Okay. And and so I have different elements so that I can say, okay, I can make if I can make mid six figures from sponsors, have low six figures from booths, have six figures here from like the low ticket tickets, million bucks from all like the five hundred dollar thousand dollar tickets. If I can sell these floor seats and get like X amount sure. of floor seats sold, that's another five hundred k. Speaker lunch, I should be able to make 200, 300K. The dinner the night before, the VIP party's a million bucks. Like, I have all different ways of a safety net, but if any one thing screws up, I'm okay. I want to have four different main revenue streams. Right. And then from there, if I broke even, I'd be ecstatic just from a math perspective because yeah, it, I, get I it. now have thrown the biggest arena event in Utah, right? And so yep. con crazy content, a lot of relationships happen, and a lot of street cred happens from throwing this huge arena side event. So mm. I, we put a lot of safety levers in place to make sure that here's 500K, here's a million bucks, here's 500K, here's a million bucks of things to get to that two to $3 million number to break even. And then there's ways that if the offer goes well, which I don't see why it won't because it's one of the biggest thing, people in the world doing it. If uh, people buy things there from the booths and from this and from that, and like there's a lot of things that happen. We have ways to make much more than that 3 million. Yeah, amazing. Wonderful. That was a great little map out, Dan. I I think for people that that show up to this stuff, many people never consider what it takes to put on, what kind of risk you know tolerance you need to go big. I mean, you guys type a lot of upfront expense, you know, and hope that people show up and you throw a world class event. But you you do this enough times, you start really trusting yourself, and it's what allows you to think so big. So I mean, there's there's different levels to this, and you've risen all the way to the very top, man. It's it's really inspiring, and you definitely are someone. Um, that's why I have you as a coach, brother. Like there's a, there's a reason that I want to follow in your footsteps and tap into all the network and relationships, man. You, you do some incredible things and you give such a beautiful blueprint to the world to, to watch. Um, this is really exciting. I can't wait to see this thing come together. Um, I, I know I got to ask, you probably won't tell me, but I, I heard there's going to be a surprise performer. Is that a secret? Are you releasing that information? Can they hear it here first on Man on a Mission? It's a, it's a secret because it's more fun later. That's why. I, I get yeah, you. Yeah. I had to ask. Yeah. I thought maybe we'll get it. Maybe we'll get it first. Breaking news. Uh, so, this is so, cool, Dan. So dur during the 100 million mastermind events, I actually don't tell friends, staff, other speakers, nobody. et cetera, until the moment the celebrity walks on stage. Nobody. I even hide them really? backstage, but nobody knows. 
That's awesome. Dog prices. Here's why. I love it. Let's say I tell you like Little Wayne or Ludacris or somebody's coming to something. You'd be like, yep. oh, that's cool. And then you go about your day. But if you're waiting in anticipation for two months before the event, and then Little Wayne or Ludacris or Magic Johnson or whatever walks on stage, <laughs> oh my God, it's Hulk Hogan. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. It's way more yeah. exciting to like have that experience. And so I do it for people. Like I do it for yeah. you that I don't tell you. Oh, that's right. awesome. That's amazing. Who do you, who's, who's your hero, Dan? Who do you look up to? Who's like your number one person that you, that you aspire to be like, who's the, who's the figure in history or the athlete or the, whatever that is, who's your person? So, well, living is Michael Jordan for sure. Uh, it's not, it's not close. It's not close. Have, like have you met him? No, I have not. Oh, you haven't. Well, wow. You're right there. You're so close. I'm sure. I, mean, I can I, I can go to the charity events. I can book him to speak. Well, sure. He's, he's a million dollars to book to speak, and he still turns Is that he? down most of the time. Yeah, he turns it down uh, most of the time. What's, what's, what's a million dollars to him? Uh, yeah. But I will, I, I, will, I will get him for sure. And the CEO, Jordan Brand, has been a friend for years, and he was the CEO yeah. for 22, 22 years. Uh, Who you guys should actually interview. He's got an amazing story, amazing book. Hmm. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I will get him. But uh, not living is Harry Houdini. Oh, cool. Yeah, he's amazing. Well, I know you're, I, I know you're a huge sports fan. I was curious who might come out of your lips. You have another brand that I just think is really cool. I've been watching it grow. Um, Cards and Coffee. Real quick, I mean, there's so many different dimensions to you. We, I haven't even scratched the surface for this audience out there. I know we're coming up against a, a pretty hard stop here. We don't want to steal too much more of your time, but... Uh, there's a couple brands that you seem to really care about and you really have a love and passion for. And it's amazing to see them become successful through the passion projects that you turn into actual businesses. You are such an entrepreneur. I love it. Real quick, tell me what it's been like to build something that, I'll be honest with you, I thought cards were, were dead and it seemed like they just arose out of the ashes fast. And it might be because of someone like you out in the marketplace that's creating demand that... Maybe wasn't even there, but maybe I'm wrong too. But it seems like this is a big business world now. Yeah. So Gary V is the one that rides out of the ashes, and he just had me help him. Gary awesome. V is still talking. Like last week, I was with him in Chicago, and he was at the booth for four days straight. Like he cares. <laughs> oh wow. Right? He's this a guy worker. Has, yeah. This guy has a thousand employees, and he's there at the booth selling cards for forty dollars and sixty bucks. That's like, he so cares. cool. Uh, so he's the one that named Cards and Coffee. That's why I started. He named Cards and Coffee. Uh, and I went and opened up uh, October 2020 in the middle of everything being shut down. COVID, I up, yeah. I self-financed it. I put up 1.6 million to get it started. After eight weeks, we'd done a million in sales. After eight months, I did 10 million in sales. I did wow. a round of financing. We've now done 27 million in sales. We have yeah. nine, nine stores now in two and a half wow. years. And so I am passionate because I love sports cards. And when I was four, five, six years old, I was selling baseball cards at the swap meet next to my parents when they were selling Levi's jeans. Out of the back yeah. of a van, out of the back of a van, <laughs> I was selling baseball cards on a little table next to them, and so like I care about cards, but yeah, um, I'm building cards and coffee to be the first true national chain. It's so good. That's so awesome. Well, I'll tell you, we're doing a, a commercial development in North Idaho. I've already asked Jeff Fenster if he come up. We'll put an Everbowl in Coraline. You guys would destroy that up here too. Uh, we'll do it. Maybe I'll reach out. We'll figure out how to get a cards and coffee inside our it's development. Easy. It's, it's easy. Coeur d'Alene is a cool town, man. I can't wait to bring you up here, Dan. I, I, I can't wait to bring you up here, brother. So, I've been there. Well, let, I've been there. You, you have. Did you come? Yeah, would you come with Ed? Ed? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. How how'd you like that house? Yeah, that and out there in Micah Bay, it's cool, cool not, property, it's not, huh? It's not, it's not a house. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> Most people don't realize this. That sits on 200 acres. Like even people oh. from Coeur d'Alene, they have no idea how much land there actually is that goes up the mountain behind that home. I mean, Ed is just a giant. That guy just does things. At an, and his vision for the island, crazy. I can't wait to see what he turns out on that. When you need dynamite to make the area for your house, it's a big house. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. Well, Dan, I could talk with you all day, man. We really didn't even scratch yeah, the surface. Yeah, great to talk with you, Dan. Yeah, I know Matt enjoyed this for sure, man. Yeah, you're, I love you're, how your mind blessing. works. I could, uh, I could see why people invest with you. Just straightforward, Trust. practical. The way you laid out the, uh, your thinking around the event. You make, you make business feel easy. Yeah, he like does. listening to you, I, I'm like, true. Why wouldn't I start five businesses tomorrow? You make it feel easy. Yeah. So that's your superpower, actually. You, you are so practical. I've, I've heard Dan speak many times. He is so practical in his approach yeah. and it's something that's really rare in the marketplace like i'm a good motivator i can get you to dig deep consider yeah. death pull you back to this moment i could put tears in your eyes 
But Dan just litters you with practical advice. And it's like note-taking hell. Like, oh, hold on, yeah, go back, yeah. say that again. What was that thing you just said? Like, he's not afraid to give away gold. Like, literally, he gives it away. And it's like so many people, yeah. I don't think, really, like, actually go leverage it in the marketplace. But he literally is giving you a simple blueprint to go execute all you have to do is be consistent with it and really gas floor down and, and take advantage of all the opportunities that will come around of being in the fire. Uh, I don't, again, this is just human nature, obviously. That's just yeah. why success is so rare. But Dan is one of the most practical advice givers on planet Earth. And we were fucking blessed to have you, Dan. Thank you so much. I owe you big time, man. And uh, I can't wait to see you, brother. I'm good, Thanks, Dan. <laughs> all right, take care. All right, buddy. We'll Bye. talk to you see soon, you man. Bye-bye. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a man on a mission I'm a man on a mission